This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. Fight Back's crack strategy panel met for the final time of 2019 this past Tuesday and discussed a topic that will likely come up regularly in 2020. Who will be the next leader of the federal conservative party? Joining Libby's Nimer, Charles Byrd, managing principal of Earnscliff Strategy Group, Karen Stintz, former Toronto City Councillor and current CEO of Variety Village, and John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner of Fleischman Hillard High Road. The discussion began with a focus on outgoing Conservative leader Andrew Scheer and what went wrong. Andrew had high expectations, you know, four years ago, plus when when Justin Trudeau became prime minister. There was not a conservative who didn't think that, oh my God, he's going to be in there for two terms uh, in some ways because of the, the Trudeau mania and the fact that he had so much, you know, popularity and, and not only here, but internationally. So there's a lot of folks who thought, you know, this, this is going to be at least a two term uh, prime minister. And when we went to our leadership contest two years after that, when we picked Andrew Scheer, even then there was some thinking that might be at least a two election, uh, uh, you know, strategy to get our, our leader as, pri- as prime minister. It wasn't until after that when NCC Lavalin started happening, his international foibles started taking, taking you know, center stage, where people started believing, wait a second, this might be a time for us to win this election this time around in 20, in the election that just happened. Um, so the expectations started getting higher. And then during the campaign, expectations got even higher with respect to some of the scandals that we saw with, with blackface and, and other issues. And, and the party itself, I think, even talked about themselves winning more seats. And then when it didn't happen, the expectation bar was so high that that the failure was was too good and too great, and a lot of folks just felt that we lost our opportunity. Hence, the fact that people left um, feeling that that Andrew Shear was uh, was not the right leader to take us into the next election. And and now here we are. He's he stepped down and he's resigning, uh, and we've got a leadership contest that's underway. And of course, the, the two names that I keep hearing all the time, and my phone's never been st- hasn't stopped since this thing, uh, is Ronna Ambrose and, and Peter McKay, the two, but also Aaron O'Toole, who I like yeah. and is a friend of mine, and I've known him for some time is somebody to uh, to consider quite seriously as well. The Conservatives did increase their vote count, and Karen, you were saying mm-hmm. they, they might get into a whole heap of trouble if they dump him, but I guess uh, the consensus he that he couldn't win in Ontario and certainly not in Quebec, and partly his social conservatism that he was so kind of uh, wishy-washy, mm-hmm. not really coming out about. Well, you know, it's, it's, um, of course, as a leader, he's got to bear responsibility for the outcome of the election. I think that's fair to say. Um, it, you know, we've talked about this in the panel. It's hard when you're running for a job that you've never had before in full public view. And when you make mistakes, there's no, there's very little room to recover and continue to move on. So, um, you know, I, I think that there was that moment where the conservatives saw a victory and then it slipped away from them. And of course, there's resentment towards that. And I think Andrew Scheer, was in a position where he had to resign because, um, you know, the, 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 
the school issue was raising its head, I'm sure, like they were going to explore every parking ticket he ever had. And, you know, it was just going to be miserable for him to stay in that role. So he, he decided to resign so that the party could move on. But now it's the party's embroiled itself in a new <laughs> scandal. And so it's just um, I, I still question the wisdom of whether or not this was the right time to be making that change. Charles, was it people are saying uh, he was too socially conservative? Uh, he he, you know, didn't. His stand on LGBTQ was the factor. And then what, what about this whole school funding thing? I'm, I have to say that I, I fail to understand that. But. Well, the, the timing of it was, was most unusual. And it appears that Mr. Shear's resignation came in the immediate aftermath of that story breaking among senior conservatives. Um, there's a lot about this story that's really, really unusual. Let me let me just say, I as I've said on your program, Libby, on a number of occasions, prophecy is a lousy way to make a living. But I did say that Andrew Shearer was going down like a submarine about three weeks ago. <laughs> you and, did, you did. Um, and but you know, I hope this isn't too conspiratorial. But it, it's hard not to think that the the fine hand of Stephen Harper isn't involved in a lot of this, given the number of senior Harper people who were first out of the gate to say that Shear had to go and that he had to go before April. Uh, Mr. Harper's chair of the, the PC Canada Fund, which is their major fundraising arm, um, which ultimately was responsible for the leak of the fact that some of Andrew Shear's children's education was being subsidized. Um, and Part of me wonders if if we might actually see Stephen Harper reemerge as a potential leader of the Conservative Party really? of Canada, as untenable uh, as that seems. Uh, if that doesn't happen, um, I will say, and again, prophecy, lousy way to make a living, <laughs> the next leader of the Conservative Party of Canada will be Pierre Poilever. Um, and I say that because um, for, for two reasons. One, um, the two tasks of any leadership candidate going into this race will be who hates Justin Trudeau the most and who can, <laughs> and who can act most like Stephen Harper. And, um, uh, and who old, speaks old, good old, French? And old Pete has both of those down, not to mention the fact that he's fluently bilingual. My my good friend Charles Stickwell, he was ahead on prophecy. He did he did get he did get the he did get the, uh, he did get the um, the one right about the leader leaving before the convention, but no, I don't. I don't think um, uh, Stephen Harper has got anything to do with this. Quite frankly, he, Stephen Harper actually quite liked Andrew Shear, um, and uh, and Andrew Shear, you know, always said that he was a, the smiley smiley face of Stephen Harper. Okay, but but the published reports and they're not attributed say that it was Stephen Harper who had a fit about. Andrew Shear getting these subsidies for his kids' education. Livid, and the livid. And the question that I have, what is the difference between getting the subsidy for your kids' education or getting the subsidy for your clothing allowance, yeah. your speaking lessons, or whatever else they get subsidized right. for that, and and all of the above. That when when some um, you know a person who is not wealthy in some little town gives twenty five bucks, I don't think. They want their money to go to either of those things. Well, let me just address that yeah. as well. But, but on the issue of Stephen Harper, I think that, you know, when it came to the leadership, he was, I think he was very fine with, with Andrew Shearer. I'm sure he, like every, every other conservative was a disappointed the fact that we didn't win without a doubt. But, but, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't read anything into, into people like Corey and others who are, who are Corey tonight, Corey tonight and others who, uh, were very publicly speaking against the leader and trying to get him to resign early on, uh, even though they all worked for Stephen Harper. A lot of them do. And a lot of folks actually went through 
Stephen Harper's office. After 10 years, you can imagine there's a lot of staffing that, that he did and, and changed and turnover. But I wouldn't read the fact that they were once former Stephen Harper staffers. Some of them are current Doug Ford uh, staffers or, or advisors as well. So I wouldn't say that Doug Ford was, was into this as well. But, but nonetheless, I think that the issue with, with the private school, um, every party engages in topping up their leader's, uh, you know, salary, in yeah. case, especially when they're in opposition, when the salary isn't as much as it is when you become prime minister. Um, you know, it, it, it's the, the common case with respect to Jagmeet Singh, he didn't have a seat for two years or two or three years of his first term, and the party basically gave him a salary to, to keep him going. So it's not unusual for, for the fund to be able to say, we're going to give you a top end to your... To your um, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So the difference is whether or not the fund knew that of the whatever that amount is given to the leader was going to go to the leader for the leader to decide where he wanted to go, whether it was a, tr- a clothing allowance, whether it was a top up to rental, whatever, because renting in Ottawa was far more expensive than it was in Saskatchewan, uh, or whether or not it was a top off to, to his private school, which apparently it was. There, there was a differential, according to the executive director of the party, said that, look, the, 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 his, his kids were in private school in Saskatchewan, and to move them to Ottawa was a higher cost, so we, we topped it up from that perspective. That's the, the debate that the fund didn't know about that, and that's why they're upset. I, I still don't get what the difference is. Well, and, and I think that the, the issue for the party remains, what do they stand for? And this notion that Andrew Scheer alone was responsible for the social conservative wing of the party, I think um, underrepresents how strong the social conservative part of the party is. And so um, to say that, you know, it, because Andrew Scheer didn't walk in a parade, that's why they lost... Andrew Scheer was probably representing a large wing of the party and so doing. So I, I think the party has to do some soul searching. And they're talking about Rona Ambrose and Peter McKay because they seem to be nice, moderate people that could lead the party. But, but they both left politics for reasons that were that they're, they've moved on to new lives. And so um, and, and again, back to this, this notion that there's a Jesus out there that's going to save the party. It just doesn't happen. So the party has to do some work between now and the next leadership convention to understand what does it stand for? Because that, that's going to drive, I think, who is successfully going to take over at the helm. Our Tuesday strategy panel, Karen Stintz, Charles Bird, and John Capobianco in their final conversation of 2019 with Libby Snymer. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Have you made a donation to charity lately or are you planning to before year's end to max your contributions? Tis the season of giving, but according to the Fraser Institute, the amount Canadians give to charity has hit a 20-year low and lags far behind American donors. Joining Libby Snymer on Thursday to discuss, Finn Poshman, resident scholar at the Fraser Institute. About one in five Canadians uh, itemized uh, deductions to charity or list deductions to charity on their tax returns. Uh, and on average across the country, uh, we donate about half a percentage of our total income to charity. The number's been dropping a lot since 2006. And why is that? We don't know the answer to that. Uh, tax return data, statistical data, even polls can't just jump out and say what it is. There are demographic shifts to be sure. Uh, it might be be that uh, rising rising taxes over the past couple of decades are sort of chewing away at Canadian senses of uh, uh, generosity. Uh, it might be changing religious connections in the community. 
And the, the, the scale, the difference between Canada and the U.S. Uh, suggests that, well, hey, maybe that is a big part of the answer. Uh, Americans, by the way, uh, say that they attend church regularly at uh, more than twice the rate of Canadians. Perhaps that's a connection. Well, I've seen that in previous years as uh, cited as the reason why Americans give more than Canadians do, because they participate more in organized religion like the church. And, and interesting in your finding, the most generous American state is Utah. And in Utah, the majority of people are Mormon and their religion calls on them to tithe. That's 10% of your income. Well, uh, that's right. And if I had never seen any of the numbers and you asked me uh, which, uh, which state in the U.S. was most likely to, uh, to donate generously, and the answer would have been Utah. If you asked me the same question uh, with regard to Canada, uh, which province, uh, citizens in which province are likely to be most likely to give, most likely to give a big share of the income, my answer would have been Manitoba. Uh, just speculatively, but you know, what do we observe also with Manitoba? The uh, largest uh, shares of the population that are uh, Ukrainian Roman Catholics, Ukrainian Orthodox, and especially uh, Mennonites, all of which are, are organizations with strong community ties. And you know, we don't know the answer. We can, we can only suppose by looking at this distribution, uh, but it's kind of suggestive. Well, yeah, number two is Prince Edward Island. That surprised me a bit. I don't think people on the island, um, I mean, I, I, you know, they're not wealthy. Uh, no, and uh, so a wealth or how wealthy you are uh, has a uh, big influence on how much you give in dollars. Uh, but, uh, yes, uh, PEI residents are very likely to make donations at all. In other words, uh, more than more than a fifth. PEI residents are, are likely to make donations. Uh, how much they donate as a share of income is pretty much uh, bang on the Canadian average. And, well, the good news, Ontario is number three at the average charitable donation. And it's very hard to be able to tell anything from that amount. It's $1,934. Uh, and more than 20%, almost 21% of Ontarians claimed it on their taxes. I think it's hard to say an average amount because you have people who donate a, a, a very large amount, and that goes into the average as well. Well, that's right. Uh, and uh, the, at the end of the day, uh, Ontarians are middle of the road for, uh, for how much um, that they donate. Uh, but numbers-wise, uh, the average annual donation is largest by far in Alberta. So that's, you know, we can assume that's connected to uh, relatively high incomes in Alberta. Anything you want to leave us with? Well, it's a really interesting story. Uh, the, the numbers that are reported on our, on our tax returns, they said, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit depressing in that sense to see the declines in the share of incomes. Uh, it's not necessarily bad if people are giving in other ways. And um, as to the regional differences, look, there are cultural differences across Canada. There are cultural differences uh, between the U.S. and Canada. And it's part of the story, but uh, none of us has, uh, has all of the story. That was Finn Poshman, resident scholar at the Fraser Institute. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Especially with the arrival of early winter weather this year, many drivers may have ended up needing a tow. 
We've all heard the stories about huge bills from unscrupulous tow truck drivers who don't disclose the cost up front. But tow truck drivers are fighting back against issues they say are affecting their well-being. Members of the Ontario Tow Truck Association are calling out violence and chaos in the industry and for the Ford PCs to implement provincial licenses and a set of standards. Mark Graves is the president of the Provincial Towing Association of Ontario. He joined Libby to talk about the issues. Well, there's been a pattern escalating for several years now, and it, we seem to be hitting a tipping point where there's... Um, turf wars and guns and and violence within the industry and chaotic mess on the roads. What do you mean turf wars are are between different companies or or how do those play out? The turf wars seem to be between companies and or drivers that are kind of trying to claim territories within areas and say that all the work that happens with that within an area is theirs and and trying to push other operators and maybe legitimate operators out of the area. Right now, basically anyone can drive a tow truck, right? Yes. Yeah, there's there's no regulations. If you have a driver's license, you can get in a truck and drive and go and hook up and tow. Mm-hmm. And the rule is also, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, on the highway, uh, you, there's, there is no territory. The first truck to get there gets the business. In a lot of areas, they have what's called first available. It doesn't necessarily mean that the first truck gets there gets the business. From a legal standpoint, the owner always has the uh, right to choose who they want for service, but these operators can put a lot of pressure and use high-pressure tactics to uh, to get you to use their services. Tell me a little bit about the violent aspects. What kind of incidents have there been? Well, just last week, there was three tow trucks in Hamilton uh, burned through arson, what the police believe to be as arson. Um, there's been... Uh, uh, a death, uh, a shooting within the towing industry. An operator was killed. And uh, just in the last couple of weeks, there was another operator shot at in a open pub- public forum. Is organized crime involved or anything like that? There is a definite possibility of that. Uh, I've got to tell you, it's pretty unusual to hear a professional association asking the government to impose more red tape. Yeah, yeah, certainly, and and the consensus from from the majority is that uh, that we need this. You know, you uh, you have to go to college to be able to cut somebody's hair, but you can get behind the wheel of a tow truck and go out on the road and 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 work with people in vulnerable situations with zero training, zero qualification. Interesting, though, you, from from what I can gather, uh, the the province has no intention of regulating this. Are you lobbying more? We're we're working with the government. Um, we've uh, we've met with them at several different levels, and uh, and are trying to show them a way that it can work. Uh, I don't know that they're not interested. Uh, we just haven't got to the point yet where they're committed. Let's talk a little bit about pricing, because I know that that's the beef that most people would have, is that they aren't upfront about what it's going to cost. Uh, somebody gets, you know, your car on the hook and then try and, you know, get it um, back. And the, the other issue is, where do they take the car for repairs? 
And sometimes they take them to a place where they have some kind of side deal and, and get some kind of cut. Yeah, you're right, Libby. There is, there is cases where they, where they take them where they want to take them rather than, um, rather than having the owner or the uh, driver choose where they go. Um, but ultimately the, the, the motoring public has the right to take their vehicle where they want to. They need to ask what the costs are and, uh, and even get it in writing prior to the tow. And they may be responsible to pay for the tow when the vehicle's dropped where they want it. And then, and then depending on the situation, maybe eligible for reimbursement. What would you like to leave us with? What, what are you telling consumers? What should they do if they need a tow truck? If they're on the side of the road, make sure they're safe. Call 911. Make sure you get a quote for the tow before you allow them to hook up. Don't sign anything without knowing exactly what you're signing. And um, take take it to where you want it to go and pay the bill and and worry about reimbursement after the fact. There'll be a lot of high pressure to, well, your insurance company will take care of it. Don't worry about the costs and that type of thing. That's not always the case. And a lot of consumers don't even know what insurance coverage they have. So be careful. Mark Graves, president of the Towing Association of Ontario. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the week. Richard in Wheatley called to say who he thinks should be the next federal conservative leader. I was wondering why no one has brought up John Bayard's name. He has the right temperament to run the country. Plus, he knows the numbers. We need someone that's, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe a little more like Trump. He's decisive. Joe in Mississauga called to say his property taxes are disproportionately high to the amount of money that he has coming in. Well, I'm a senior. I get 600 a month, and that doesn't really help me. I, I, I don't have, I have my heat that down at 67. I don't use lights during the daytime. I wear a winter coat inside my house because it's so expensive. Seniors should get a break, but uh, we don't have children going to school or anything. And, I mean, we just made over the line of uh, I cash in a small RSP, pay taxes on that. And then uh, I did my taxes, and they dropped me down to 600 a month for a year. If I would have moved and got to different residence, my taxes would have been even higher than I'm paying now. I'm paying $6,000 wow. on a small place. Dave phoned from Montreal to say that pedestrian safety is not just a big issue in Toronto. We're having the same, very same discussion here in Montreal about crosswalks and uh, about drivers not respecting them. It is a big, big problem here in the city. Uh, what they've done is they're starting to repaint the crosswalks a bright yellow because a lot of them, um, the paint was washed out from so many years of not having them painted. So they they're taking to repainting them a very bright yellow, and it's still not really having an effect. Uh, I am visually impaired. I use a white cane, and sometimes I don't even think the drivers notice it half the time. So, you know, it, it, it is a very serious matter, and I think we need to be talking about it absolutely. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. In fact, there were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Joan in Burlington with some good advice during flu season. 
I've been having the flu shot since 92. And last year, I tried to get the high dose. And every time I phoned my doctor's office, they had run out of the supplies. So I said, okay, I'm just going to go to the pharmacy. This year, I went to the pharmacy and had it again. And I've never had the flu. I, I very, very rarely get a cold. And I'm one of the fortunate ones. I've never had a reaction to it. That does it for this week's Best to Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays at 416-360-0740 on Zoomer Radio. AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightbackzoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at fightbacklibby. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.